All right, good morning, church. Welcome. We're going to jump right into the fourth and final installment of our message in our series entitled Once Upon a Marriage. I'm so glad that you are here. Honored to see each and every one of you. We're excited to see what God has for us in store this morning. Hopefully you grabbed a worship guide on your way in, maybe a cup of coffee, a water bottle, uh, a couple of donuts, you know, and uh, hopefully you found a comfortable seat. We're excited that you're here. We're going to be in the book of Hosea this morning, the book of Hosea. We're going to be looking at chapters 1, 2, and 3 in the book of Hosea. Excited that you're here. And if you are unfamiliar with the book of Hosea, nobody will notice if you look at the little index in your Bible. If you have to cheat and look at the index, totally fine. If not, don't worry. The uh, scripture passage will be in your worship guide as well as up on the screen this morning for you. We're glad that you're here. Let's jump in by just talking about a few things that just don't make sense, all right? The other day, I was helping Jane clean up our kitchen, and I was noticing that um, the furniture polish I was using, it said, made with real lemons. And then I opened the kitchen cupboard where we have some lemon drink mix, and it says, made with artificial lemons. Can anybody explain that to me? So does that mean I can take the furniture polish, put it in a little cup, add some water, and serve it to Megan and Austin? No, I'd be a terrible parent and you'd be calling somebody on me. No, they're just they're things that just don't make sense. Hey, it doesn't make sense to me. Why are boxing rings, why are they called boxing rings when they're square? Like, I mean, you know, it just doesn't quite make sense. Maybe we didn't think through this. Or it doesn't make sense to me why we'll go to fast food, we'll order a double bacon cheeseburger with an extra side of grease, large fry, and then a Diet Coke. Like, like the Diet Coke, really? I mean, after all that, it, it kind of cancels out. I mean, it just, just had the real Coke. I mean, why are you trying to mess it up, you know? Who, just, just enjoy yourself, you know? Die young, make a pretty corpse, you know? It's going to be all right. Or, or, or how about this one? Why isn't, or why hasn't anybody invented mouse-flavored cat food? Like, I mean, come on. It, somebody could make a lot of money off of this. Or what about this one? The other day I pulled up next to a car, and, and maybe the ladies here can help me out. Why is it that whenever you're applying, like, mascara or any eye products, your mouth opens? Like, I, I don't get it. I pulled up, and I looked over, and the lady was doing her eyes, but her mouth is wide open. And I'm just like, that's interesting. And then I went home, and I saw Jane this morning. She was starting to, and her mouth is open. I was like, does it help if your mouth is open? Like, I mean, does that, does that make it easier? I just, I just don't understand. It just doesn't quite make sense to me. Or uh, what about this one? Why is it, I may have just gone through, or here's the last one. Why is it that when you're driving and looking for an address, you turn down the music? You ever notice that? Like, you're driving, you're trying to find the address, so you turn down the music, or you tell everybody to be quiet. Like, like is that going to help? You're looking for an address. You want it quiet in the car? I mean, no, the address is still going to be there, but just kind of, we reach for the stereo, we turn it down, we tell everybody in the car to be quiet. There are just things that just don't make sense. You're going to read with me the book of Hosea, and you're going to say, that just doesn't really make sense. You're not going to get it. And I'll be honest, when I looked at it, I didn't quite get it either. Because we're going to see probably what would be probably the greatest love story. Nicholas Sparks has nothing on the book of Hosea or the prophet Hosea. We're going to look at this passage because we're going to wrap up this series. And we're going to ask this big question. How can a relationship or a marriage go from broken to brand new? From broken to brand new. Here's what I need you to do and help me with this morning. I need you to touch the person next to you and say, hope 
is on the other side. Hope is on the other side. And I know you're saying that, and we're kind of going to act in faith here that hope is on the other side. And the title's not going to make any sense until the very end of the message. So you've just got to stay with me till the end. No getting up, leaving, walking out, or anything like that. You just got to hang in there till the end. All right, let's go to Hosea chapter number one. And can we stand out of respect for the word of God? We're not going to stand for long, but we're going to read several verses if we can. Hosea chapter number one. Let's begin reading in verse number one. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Berai, in the days of Uzziah, Jothan, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take for yourself a wife, of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry from departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, as a wife. She conceived and bare him a son. The Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and will bring to an end the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Verse number 6. Then Gomer conceived again and bare a daughter, and the Lord said to Hosea, Call her name Lo-Rum-Maha, for I will no longer have mercy upon the house of Israel, but will utterly sweep them away. But I will have mercy upon the house, um, and, but I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow or by sword or by battle or by horse or by horsemen. When Gomer had weaned Lo-Rum-Maha, she conceived and bare a son. Then the Lord said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for, he, for you are not my people, and I'm not your God. All of a sudden, you're just like, wait a minute, what's going on here? There's a bunch of strange names, a bunch of different kind of people. Uh, the book of Hosea is kind of different. Let me just kind of jump in and give us a little bit of context real quick, okay? So we meet this prophet. The prophet's name is Hosea. And imagine for a second that God comes to Hosea, and God says, Hosea, I want you to be a preacher, a pastor. And Hosea's thinking, excellent. That's what I've been waiting for. Fantastic. And then God says to Hosea, but before you do that, Hosea, you need to get married. And Hosea's like, fantastic. This is great. I like it. There's this girl I've been seeing at the Bible study. Like, she's fine. And I want to meet her. And then God's like, no, no, this girl's not going to be at your Bible study. Oh, is one of the other girls at church? No, I don't think she's going to church right now. Oh, okay. Like, uh, you know, what's, what's the deal? Um, you know, she works on the other side of the tracks and I want you to marry her. Imagine how that went down with that conversation went down with your mom. So what does your wife Hosea do for a living? Um, she's self-employed. Um, she's in the entertainment industry. I mean, you could just see these conversations, how they go. It'd be awkward for everybody, right? Okay. You were getting awkward as I was describing. So we'll just stop there. Okay. So you can see that this is difficult. This is who she is. That's just, she's got a past. Okay. And that's not a problem. That should encourage every single one of us that God told this guy to go and marry somebody with a past because God is going to show a beautiful picture for us this morning. And so Hosea takes this woman to be his wife. They come home. They have their first son together. But then the next one doesn't look like Hosea. And the third one doesn't look like Hosea because the other two children are not Hosea's. This woman goes back into the life that she left. 
And it's a picture of God trying to show Israel how he still loves them, how he still cares about them, even though they keep abandoning them. But how does Hosea take a broken relationship? And how does it become brand new? And we're going to dive into that. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to bless. Because the greatest preacher in this church is not me, it's the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit this morning to speak to our hearts. And let's ask for his help this morning. You pray with me as I pray. You pray quietly, I'll pray loud. And let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the morning. Lord, we desperately need you to speak to our hearts. Some people are here and they have wonderful relationships. Some people are here and they're hurting in their relationships. Some people, they've not yet begun a relationship. But Lord, I pray across the room that we would see the most beautiful love story that could ever be played out in Scripture here. I pray that it would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would do a work that I can't do. Lord, there are, there are needs in this room that I have no clue. But your spirit, your spirit can talk to people. Your spirit can, can do a work that I can't do this morning. So, Lord, this morning, they don't need to hear from Micaiah Ermler. They need to hear from you. I pray that your word would speak loud and clear to our situation. We love you, Father. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as you're seated, touch the neighbor and tell them one more time, hope is on the other side. Hope is on the other side. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So glad to have you. We're talking about how can a relationship that is broken go from broken to brand new. Here is Hosea. Hosea marries a prostitute. This prostitute then cheats on him. And this prostitute goes back into living what she used to and how she used to live. And so this morning, we're going to see what does Hosea do in this situation? Or, and we're also going to ask the question, why did, why did Gomer, which is probably the top worst name to ever name your daughter ever, and if you're expecting, like, maybe you like the name, but uh, that's totally up to you if you like that name, you know, top 10 uh, baby names in 2016, it could be Gomer, and uh, so uh, if you like that name, it's got a great meaning, but uh, Gomer, and that's who he marries, but why would she, coming out of that lifestyle, why would she want to go back to it? That's a good question, right? Like, do you really want to keep selling yourself like that? Do you keep want to live in that kind of atmosphere? Here you, you marry a good guy. And, and, and if I could say one thing, if I could speak for my sisters that are single in the room, is the fact that they're constantly telling me, hey, pastor, I'm looking for a good guy. I just want to find a good guy. And sometimes you're like, I just want to find a dude who has a job. Like, if he just has a job, I mean, he doesn't even have to have everything else. He just got a job, I'd be happy. Did he, does he still have his license, or has that been taken away? I mean, there's just, all of a sudden, you're like, man, I'm setting the bar kind of low here, Pastor. But still, I'm trying to just find a good guy. And here, Gomer's kind of like, I mean, imagine what she told her friends. Yeah, I married a pastor. And her friends are like, well, girl, you did good. Man, that's good for you. You're excellent. You're out of this lifestyle. Man, it's happy for you, you know? And uh, so she gets out of that, except for something pulls her back in. And in this story, some of you, you're going to find a lot in common with Gomer in the sense of there are things that pull you back into things that you've left. Would you write this down? People and pain. People and pain. No matter what relationship you get in, no matter uh, who you know, whether you're in a, a romantic relationship, a business relationship, whether you're family, haven't you noticed people in pain are kind of synonymous? People are just going to cause pain. 
It could be your own employee. They're going to cause you some pain. It could be your boss. They're going to cause you some pain. It could be the woman you marry, the man you marry. They're going to cause you some pain. It could be the boyfriend you're dating is going to cause you pain. It could be the girlfriend you're dating. They're going to cause you pain. It can even be parents. Our own children can cause us pain. And isn't it amazing the people we love the most are the ones that can hurt us the most? I mean, other people can hurt me. People can say mean things about me, but it just doesn't matter that much. But if I've got a family member that says something mean about me, or if my wife, Jane, says something mean about me, or if Austin, who's three, says something mean about me, which happens regularly, you need to talk to that boy, picking on me, little bully. He, if he is, and you know, it can, it can hurt. And some of you say, yeah, I've got teenagers and they can say some hurtful things and I've got grown kids and they can say some hurtful things. People and pain, it happens and it comes together. So we need to recognize right here from the very beginning that just because you started out and you feel all the the butterflies and the emotion of the relationship and you're thinking this is how it's always going to be, you're setting yourself up for failure if you think this person is never going to cause you any pain. Because people and pain is synonymous. To love someone is to feel pain. And in Hosea chapter number two, verse number five, we see the picture of just how much pain that Gomer causes Hosea. In verse number five, the Bible says, and for their mother hath played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, and my drink. She said, you know what? I'm kind of bored with this lifestyle. I want to go back where it was kind of exciting, where, where unsolicited love, and I want, to, I want to go over there, and I want to, I want to find something that, that kind of live on the edge, kind of get that thrill again. She says, hey, I'm going to go back to this lifestyle. Instead of doing what I know I should do and be faithful to my child, my husband, no, she decides to go and cause probably for Hosea the greatest pain. But then imagine for a second you're Hosea. Who told you to marry that person? Come on, you could say it out loud. Who told Hosea to marry her? You say, no, God would never put me in a situation that would be painful. God would never put me in a situation where God knew I was going to get hurt. God would never allow me to go down a path that would cause me that much pain. God would never tell me to do something and there would be pain. Yes, even being a Christ follower, there's going to be some pain. I heard somebody say this the other day, and it's the biggest misnomer, and I want to preach on these sometimes. Somebody once said to me, maybe you've heard it, the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. Amen. Bless God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? That's a lie, isn't it? Was the apostle Paul in the center of God's will when they cut off his head? Yes, he absolutely was, and he died. Some of us think, well, I'm in the center of God's will. That's the safest place to be. Not necessarily. You may still get cancer. You may still get sick. Your loved one may pass away prematurely. Good friend of mine just started a church. His dad died last Sunday. He was 60 years old, just turned 60, passed away. Between services, Sunday afternoon, that was it, heart attack. He's rolling. He's devastated. He was like, I just saw him that morning. And then that afternoon, he goes home, has a heart attack, and he's gone. 60 years old. 
Because some of us think that, man, even when I become a Christian, even when I give my life to Christ, then it's just going to be easy. It's just going to be perfect. And I'm here to tell you it's not. People in pain. Your life is going to have pain. Even in an auditorium this side, there's a lot of pain represented here. And we're not trying to dig up all our pain, but I'm just saying, let's not get into the Christian life. Let's not get into a relationship. Let's not get into a marriage thinking that there's no more pain. Though there is going to be pain. Sometimes we create more pain in the relationship. Sometimes I see people and they just think, well, we're just going to kind of keep doing this and keep fighting. And, and, and instead of understanding that, that they, they can stop. What happens oftentimes, a lot of the times I see these uh, people start fighting is because of what I call the 80-20 rule. You see, they're, they've got 80% going right in their marriage, but they see the 20% that their relationship is missing, they see it in their secretary. Oh, my wife, she doesn't like to talk about sports with me, but man, this girl, she likes sports. She was always asking me to drinks and uh, afterward and go talk about sports, which my wife would talk to me about sports. And then you leave your wife because she's got the 20 that your wife doesn't have. And then you start a relationship with her only to find out that 20 that she had, that's all she had. That's it. Like she had nothing else going for her, but you just left 80. And I see that not only in relationships, I see it in jobs. I see people do it in church. They'll leave a perfectly good church where God is speaking to them. Their kids are growing. Things are happening. And they'll leave 80%. Why? Because that 20%, they, they, they got something over there that I want. Instead of saying, wait a minute, God, help me to be faithful to what you've called me to be. So here's Hosea. He's experiencing this immense pain. And it is tied to a person. And that person, he was told to marry them by God. So put yourself in Hosea's situation just for a moment. He's experiencing all this pain. You see, for Gomer... She had these three children. And the best way to put it is almost like this. You know, it's uh, Gomer had these babies and they were Gomer's babies and Hosea's maybes. That's just, he didn't know. It was kind of like, uh, is this one mine? You know, there's three of them. Because she would have them and she would bring them back home to him. So he's taking care of the kids while she would go back to her lifestyle. So the pain that Hosea was feeling was immense. But let's not stop there. Let's keep going. Think about it from Gomer's side, though. Let's go on to the second part, identity and insecurity. Why would, in the sense, why would, why would Gomer mess up a good relationship? Here's Hosea. Hosea's not cheating on her. Hosea is nowhere recorded in Scripture abusing her, not taking care of her, not being faithful to her, not doing, meeting her needs. That's not mentioned here in Scripture. So why would she leave? Why would she abandon such a great relationship? Why would Gomer walk away? And I think it has to do with this. Do you think that Satan would tell Gomer something like this? Hey, Gomer, you know the reason he married you, right? Like, it's not because you were, you were a good girl. You know, you know God told Hosea to marry you. Like, Hosea didn't really have a choice in this, Gomer. You know that, right? Like, if he could have picked other girls, he, he wouldn't have picked you. Let's just be honest, ladies. You have these thoughts even in your own mind. Like, like I, I don't deserve this husband, or, or I don't deserve these good kids, or I don't deserve this job. And, and your own mind just plays against you. So you, you already have certain insecurities. So imagine Gomer for a second. So Hosea could have picked anybody, but he had to pick me. Where's the security in that relationship for her? 
Let's see it from her side for a second. Why would she walk away? Don't you think for a moment she was feeling some some insecurity about the relationship? Don't you think she was thinking, God, why are you doing this? And, And thinking that maybe I have a good relationship, but then what is it actually built on? Because the Bible said to Hosea, go. It was something where God said, hey, you gotta go and do this. You see, I think we have more in common with Gomer than we do with Hosea. Because why? We have these insecurities, men and women. And these insecurities can, can manifest themselves in a relationship and cause great harm even in a relationship. I like to say it like this. Sometimes we need to step out of our history and into our destiny. You see, uh, Gomer, for her, she couldn't, she couldn't step away from her past. She couldn't step out of that history into the destiny that God had called her to. God had said, hey, I'm going to give you a good husband. This is a clean start for you, Gomer. But instead, Gomer goes right back into her history. And for some of you, you've done the exact same thing. I know I have. We won't raise hands, but we've all been there. We've all been to the point where we say, you know what? I'm going to break away from that addiction. I'm going to break away from that unhealthy relationship. I'm going to break away and I'm going to do right. I'm going to get back into church. I'm going to start living for God. I'm going to start doing what I know is right. And you've turned your back on everything else. But all of a sudden you go right back to it just like Gomer did. Right back to the old lifestyle. You know why? Because when we find our identity in my insecurity, it'll lead to instability in the relationship. Because some of us find our identity in our insecurity. Some of you, that's your, your identity. You see, Gomer could never see herself as nothing more than a prostitute. She never could see herself away from that. So she went right back to it. And for some of you, you say, I'm an addict. I always will be an addict. And as long as you live that label, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. As long as you say, well, I've got this temper. I always had this temper. I've always had it. always will. Then you'll never get rid of the temper. You know what, I'm, I'm just an alcoholic, I've always drunk, I always will. No, you're labeling yourself. You're the lid to your own liberation. You're setting that lid. You're limiting what God can do in you. You're limiting the life that you can have. Well, you know what, I just don't deserve to actually have a happy life. I, don't, I just don't deserve to actually get anything better than this. I don't deserve a, a person that'll treat me right and love me right. And I just, I just kind of take what I can get and I just kind of, you know, give a little bit of myself away to every relationship just because I don't deserve to actually have a really good guy or a really good girl. And that's what our insecurity does. Your insecurity attaches itself to your identity and that creates all kind of instability. Some of us, we're wondering why we're having so many problems. And it's because of that. It's because we've attached our identity to our insecurity. Not only that, notice, insecurity is my inability to stop looking at what's wrong with me. It's my inability to stop looking at what's wrong with me. And instead, focus on what's right with Jesus. You see, we would look at uh, Gomer and we would say she would represent the worst of humanity. We would say that represents, you know, just a, a, a broken human being. I actually want to tell you the exact opposite. Gomer actually represents the best of humanity. You say, no, come on. Somebody who sells herself? No. Yeah. Because the Bible says that man altogether at his best state is nothing. And God even says all our righteousness is as filthy rags. So you at your very best is nothing. So God is saying, hey, look, Gomer, that's a picture of us. And I know some of us walk into church thinking like we're the Hosea. And some of us in the relationship are like, yeah, I'm Hosea. 
this person's Gomer. This person's cheated on me. This person's hurt me. No, we're, we're all the Gomer. Because this is an analogy for the nation of Israel that has left their walk with God. That has left God. That has sought after other gods. That has broken the relationship with God. And said, I'm going to chase another God that's going to satisfy. Another God that's going to give me something. And the God may be golf. It may be a boat. It may be sports. It may be a job. It may be money. It may be another uh, woman or another guy on the side. The, the, the God could be anything. But so often we chase something else. And that's where God is trying to get a point across to us this morning. That we too often, we make this mistake. That we focus on what's wrong with us. And God doesn't want you to do that. He wants you to focus on what's right with him. And as long as you're focused on, oh, I've got this fault and this fault and this fault and this fault. Did you know your focus really or what you fixate on really determines your focus? I mean, that's, that's kind of guiding you. It's like this. I, I lift weights, okay, and I enjoy lifting weights. And whenever I'm doing the front squat, the bar's in front of you. And if I kind of lean or, or let my shoulders roll forward, if I look down, that bar all automatically starts to lean forward. What does that do? It pulls my entire body down, down. So my coach constantly is saying, Micaiah, head up. Keep your head up. Just keep your head up. Why? Because naturally with my head up, chest goes up, posture's better. The bar goes back. I can support it. Some of you, you're constantly head down and you wonder why you keep falling. You wonder why. And it's because you are so focused on all your failures. You're so focused on, man, I can never do this right. I'm, gonna, I'm not a good parent and I'm, and I'm not as loving as I should be to my spouse. And man, I can't ever kick this habit. No, God wants you to get your eyes off of yourself and onto his goodness, onto his grace, onto his mercy that he loves you. Here's the cool thing about the story of Hosea. You know, Hosea's name literally means salvation. That's what his name means. Salvation. Here's what's awesome. Gomer leaves Hosea. Hosea never leaves Gomer. Salvation never leaves you. Jesus never leaves you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you go, God never leaves you. You say, you don't understand my past. You don't understand what I've done. I'm here to help you this morning to understand you don't have to be focused and fixated on all your problems. That's what Satan is trying to get you to do. He's trying to get you so wrapped up in all the things you've done wrong. Instead, God is saying, hey, get your eyes on me. I'm the perfect one. I'm the one that saved you. I'm the one that liberated you. I'm the one that's going to create a new life in you. Let's get our eyes on Jesus, not on ourselves. But for Gomer, she couldn't do it. For Gomer, she constantly kept seeing herself and it was creating these insecurities. You see, when you see how others see what you see or how others see you is not as important as how God sees you because people can only see what you are, but God can see what you will be. God sees what you will be. God sees where your relationship will be. God sees where your teenager will be. God sees where that, that person that you say, man, I wish my husband was more spiritual. Guess what? God knows where they're going to be. It's our job not to give up on them. It's our job not to walk away from them. It's our job. If we could take anything out of the life of Hosea, it's the fact that Hosea stayed faithful, even though you know he was hurting inside. Even though you know, as the kids said, hey, is mom coming home tonight? Where is mom? We haven't seen mom in a while. And Hosea just thinking, I don't know, baby. Mom's going to be home soon. Mom's going to be home one day. We just keep looking for mama. Mom's going to be back. You can imagine as the stories come around that, Hey, have you heard about Gomer in the next town over? She's easy. She's cheap. Could you imagine those stories that get to Hosea? 
He's a pastor in the community. Don't you think he knows a few people? Don't you think he would have heard the rumors? Imagine if you have some person in your church, all of a sudden they said, oh yeah, I know the pastor's wife. Imagine the shame, imagine the guilt. Imagine for a second the pain, the anguish that Hosea lived with. And then God says, that's what I, the way I feel when you leave me, when you don't want to spend time with me. It was this picture of God's faithfulness to you and I when we want to walk away from him. When we want to leave the relationship, you see, the reality is I need to find my identity in Christ. And when I find my identity in Christ, it impacts my life immediately and eternally. And for some of us here this morning, you can't get your identity on the proper things because you don't have an identity in Christ. Christ comes in your life immediately and he changes it. He changes everything. He gives you a new set of values. You see, the world will tell you, hey, here's what's important. Here's what you need to value. And instead, God says, there's nothing you have to do to be valuable. Today, the world says, wear these clothes, you'll be valuable. Have this kind of body, you'll be valuable. Make this on your paycheck, you're valuable. Drive this kind of car, you're valuable. Be married to this kind of person, you're valuable. Raise these kind of kids, you're valuable. Hey, if you have these kind of manners, you're valuable. If you have this kind of social status, you're valuable. If you have X amount of friends on Facebook, you're valuable. If you go to this club, you're valuable valuable. If you know this person, you're valuable. We put our value on all these things that you have to do when God says it's nothing you do. It's who you are. You are valuable. You are my child. There was nothing that Gomer did to deserve Hosea's love. And there is nothing you and I can do to deserve God's love. God simply looks down and says, you are valued. You are cherished. You're a daughter of the king. You're a son of God. You're a chosen people. And God loves us this morning. There's nothing we did for that love. And God says it's free. God says find your identity in me. When you find your identity in him, you don't have to go chasing an identity in anywhere else. And some of you, you're so frustrated of life because you're chasing everything to find an identity. To find, you wake up in the morning saying, where do I matter? And to whom do I matter? When God is saying, no, it's me. Step out of your history and into your destiny. Touch your neighbor and say that. Step out of your history and into your destiny. Because until you leave your history, you'll never fulfill the destiny that God has for you. You got to step out of that. You got to step out of that history and into the destiny God has given you. But I need you to go to this third point hurt and hope. Hurt and hope. You say, well, what do we do about Hosea here? Hosea's hurting. Here's the reality is Gomer's hurting too. She's expressing her hurt in a different way. She's hurting. And if you see somebody who's trapped in a drug culture or trapped in, 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 in a, a, a lifestyle that you disagree with, I want you to understand, instead of you judging, step back and understand they are hurting. There's a lot of pain. And it's real easy to say, well, they're just doing that just because they, they just really think it's all that great. And there's a lot of pain. A lot of our behaviors, if we get to the root of it, it's pain motivated. It's motivated out of a hurt, motivated out of a pain. And so instead of being a church that says, well, that person should be more like this. No, it's a church of grace. We just say God's working on them. But there's hurt. But even though there's hurt, there's real hope. Notice what God says. In chapter number two, verse number 
11, the Bible says, I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons, and her Sabbaths, and all her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given to me. And I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will visit upon them the days of Balaam, wherein they burned incense to them, and decked herself with earrings and jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. God is saying, hey, I'm going to stop their good time. God's saying, hey, I'm angry at them. I'm upset that they wouldn't follow me. But then notice what he does the very next verse. Verse number 14 says, therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. This is God using the prophet Hosea to say, hey, go and get your wife again. But instead of saying, hey, woman, you messed up. Can't believe you cheated on me. Can't believe you hurt me. My reputation is gone. Our church used to be a growing church. Nobody's coming to it. You left all your babies at home. You really think you're, you're a fit mom? That's not what God said to say. Instead, God said, hey, Hosea, allure her back. Speak comfortably, kindly to her. Say nice things. Don't you think our relationships are radically different? Even when that other person has said something or done something so mean, you instead say something so kind and loving. It takes a lot of discipline, but that's God, what God wants. Here's the bigger thing. God is saying in this picture, he's saying, look, I may stop showing my love, but that doesn't mean my love stops. There's a difference, and parents get it too. Not one time does a parent ever stop loving their child, but there are times where you stop showing your love. You say, what do you mean? They were acting up in the whole way to Toys R Us. And you had told them, hey, we're going to go buy a toy at Toys R Us. They acted up the whole way. You said, hey, unless you stop, you're not getting a toy at Toys R Us. They don't stop. You get to Toys R Us. You say, the other kids are going to get a toy. You're not. You still love your child. You're just not going to show love to them. You see, I need you to understand something. God is not just going to wash over and wink at our sin. God never stops loving you. He can stop showing his love to you. That's the reality. Hey, we believe in grace. We believe in mercy here. But I need you to understand at the same time, God is saying, hey, look, you're going to go and do the wrong things. You're going to sell. I heard one preacher, he said, man, sin ain't fun. If you just knew how, how sin just wasn't fun. I was looking in the audience and I was like, well, you just ain't doing it right because yeah, it is. I mean, here's some fun. Here's some sin. It is kind of fun. Let's just be honest. All right. You can't say that about all sin. The Bible even says this, that there is pleasure in sin for a season. Sin is fun. Let's not kid ourselves. But sin does have a price. And we need to count the cost before we make the decision. We need to look at our life and say, hey, is this the reality that I want to be living out? Is this the right step that I want to take? Because this decision is going to mark me. But here Hosea, he goes to her. He speaks kindly unto her. But then I love chapter three, verse number one. The Bible says, then said the Lord unto me, go yet love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel who look to other gods and love wine. So I brought her to me. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for a homer of barley and for a half homer of barley. You say, what happened? He finds out where she's at. And she was no longer selling herself. She had gotten so far in debt. She is now a slave. She's now somebody else's property. Hosea's wife is now on this auction block. 
I don't mean to be too crude. And if there's young people, I do apologize. But I need you to grasp the severity of the situation. Slaves were not clothed. There was nothing beautiful about them. There was nothing. They were just property. She's up there, used, spent, no decency, no respect left. You can imagine she's up there just ice cold to the world. Wondering if there's even a heart, even a soul left in her. And you can imagine she's standing there looking at the crowd that begins to start the bidding for her. And then in the middle of the crowd, the one person she honestly just doesn't want to see. Because when we've messed up, we don't want to see that person that I told you so. We don't want to see that person. And she's expecting, I don't want to see Hosea because I know he'll lecture me. Yeah, he told me not to go to those lunch appointments with those people at the office. I should have listened. Said not to go on those business trips. Should have listened. He's just going to lecture me. Love doesn't lecture. Love doesn't lecture. That's free. You can write that down. Love doesn't lecture. Write that down. That's free. I'm learning that. Write that down. Put it, dudes, put that somewhere. It's, that'll save you. But then you can imagine as she sees, maybe her hair's down, matted. She sees somebody walking. And she looks in the eyes of Hosea. There's no judgment. There's no, I told you so. There's no getting even. Instead, all he has is a bag of money. But according to Leviticus, a common slave would cost 30 shekels. He has 15. As I began to do some research, apparently Hosea would have had to have sold everything he had to buy his own wife back. Hosea is a picture of Jesus. Jesus is the better Hosea. Jesus gave everything he had for you. He bought us from the slave market of sin. We were the Gomer. We were the one that was stripped bare because of our sin. We were the one that chose to live the life in rebellion to God. We were the one that didn't deserve mercy, didn't deserve grace. And then Jesus showed up on the scene and said, I won't just pay 15 shekels. I will pay my blood. I will pay my life. As the rest of the crowd may have laughed and mocked, then Jesus steps on the scene because Hosea's name means salvation. And salvation showed up that day. And salvation said that child is mine I own her I bought her it cost me everything and she is valuable and she is precious to me and you are valuable to God and you are precious to him and he paid everything for you and he loves you and this morning he's not trying to get you get payback he's trying to bring you back he's trying to allure you back he's trying to speak comfortably to you he's trying to tell you hey let's get back in fellowship with me let's get back in a prayer life with me let's get back into church with me hey let's get back into serving God. Let's get back into living right. Let's get back into doing what we know we should do because hope is on the other side, folks. Hope is on the other side. You say, what do you mean hope is on the other side? Chapter 2, verse number 15, the Bible says, and I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. The valley of Achor, Achor literally means trouble. On the other side of trouble is hope. A valley was a low point. 
Some of you this morning, you're like, I'm in a low point in my life. I'm in a point where it just kind of seems like I don't know if I can continue on because I'm in a valley. I'm in a place that's low. I'm in a place that's discouraging. I'm in a place that's depressing. I'm in a place where I'm not sure if I can keep going another day. And God is saying, hey, look, on the other side of the valley of Acor, there is hope. There is a door of hope. But you've got to go through the valley to get to hope. On the other side is hope. Hope is on the other side. It's interesting. As you read Psalms 23, the Bible says, as though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. It's funny that on the other side of the valley, that's where the table is. It's on the other side. It's amazing to me that the children of Israel, they had to cross the Red Sea. On the other side was their freedom. They had to come to the Jordan Sea. And it was on the other side was the promised land. You can remember when Jesus was walking by a seashore and he met Peter fishing. He had fished all night, nothing. And Jesus said, hey, cast your net on the other side because there's where the fish will be. You can imagine when Jesus Christ is hanging on a cross and there was another slave right next to him who was dying on the other side. He said, hey, today you're going to be with me in paradise. On the other side, we're going to see hope. On the other side of this, we're going to see life. On the other side of this pain, we're going to see God do something. On the other side of this difficulty, we're going to see God do a miracle. On the other side of this turmoil, we're going to see God break through in a strong and miraculous way. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that there is hope on the other side. Touch your neighbor and say, hey, hello from the other side this morning. Hello from the other side. Because some of you this morning, you've been to the other side. You've been through the valley. You've been through the darkness. You've been through the troubled time. You've raised a teenager that went the wrong way. You've been in a relationship that fell apart. You've been in problems where you thought it was all over. You've been through bankruptcy. You've been through breakup. You've been through the loss of a child. And you know the darkest days. And guess what? You can stand up and you can declare this morning that there is hope on the other side can I hear an amen church because there's got to be hope because we cannot go through life hurting and hurting God wants to remind you that there is hope this morning do not leave here without understanding that God has a hope for you because Hosea's name literally means salvation Hosea went after his wife he sought her God said go he went and sought her I want you to understand Jesus sought you out It's no accident you're in church here this morning. He came looking for you. He came seeking you. But then Jesus bought. He sought us. He bought us. And then he brought us. Jesus did it for you. He did it for me. You need to understand that there is a healer ready to help you. He's ready to bring you back. He's ready to change your life. But there is a hope as deep as your hurt. You say, I'm hurting. I know. There is a hope as deep as that hurt. It's found in Jesus Christ. Hosea hurt deeply. As deep as you could ever hurt a man. He's going to raise children that aren't his. And he's going to stay faithful to a wife who hasn't been faithful to him. And through it all, God's going to say, hey, through this valley of Acor, through the valley of trouble, there is going to be hope. You see, don't flee from your problems. Don't fight it. Just face it, because there is hope this morning. And God wants to do something in our hearts. God wants to do something in our lives. I love the fact that Hosea is that picture that even when Gomer left him, he never left. You know what Gomer's name means? It means completion. But we're not truly complete without salvation, without Jesus. 
If you're here this morning, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. You're not complete. And there is a hope for you. Maybe you've lived for yourself. Maybe you, you followed what you thought would bring value. You try to put your identity in some things. Maybe this morning God's saying, hey, you're looking for complete. You, she, Gomer thought she was complete, people. She thought she had it all together. She didn't. There's a lot of people in this valley. They think they've got it all together. They've got the Bentley in the garage. They've got the padded 401k. They've got the house on the hill. They've got the kids in that private school. They've got that, that, that perfect position. And they think, I don't need anything. But you're not complete until you've met Jesus Christ. And this morning, if you've never met him, that's where to start. The best thing you can do for your spouse is for you to seek Jesus Christ. Is for you to fall in love with him. For you to put your faith and trust in him. Let's stand as we close. People in pain. Identity and insecurity. But then hurt and hope. There is a healer ready to help. But then there is a hope as deep as your hurts. Every head bowed and every eye closed.